Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. <laughs> this is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. Wise man once said, self-improvement is masturbation. Now, self-destruction... Welcome to Extended Clip. <laughs> I like uh, leading off the episodes with a wise man quote from the movie. <laughs> the wisest man of us, you know, ever. Yeah. Yeah, well, so far, the two wise men have been Wimpy from Popeye and uh, Tyler Durden from Fight Club, and those are definitely two aspirational figures for me. So, episode 234 of Extended Clip, I am one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And, of course, the topic today is Fight Club from 1999. No, we are not doing a 1999 series on the Patreon. We just happen to be covering two 1999 films in a row because it is one of the most stacked years in Hollywood history. Uh, this is also kind of, you know, I was just thinking about the 99 time capsule when we were talking about American Pie to turn back the clock to last week's episode I was thinking about what was America feeling at the time. And I was thinking about the cynicism of American beauty uh, because of uh, the Mina Servano connection. Uh, and then I was thinking about what other cynical movie of 99 can I think of? And of course, it's everybody's favorite bully pulpit for criticizing nihilism and cynicism in cinema, David Fincher's Fight Club. Uh, now... Is it a fair point that the film's overly uh, hateful of the world and cynical and nihilistic? Of course it is. Is that also maybe why I've grown to like it more and more over the years? Absolutely. Uh, this is coming at a time where we didn't know how good we had it. And the irony of that makes the film so much more tragic, in my opinion. You know, uh, Brad Pitt at one point tosses off a line as Durden where he says, you really want to go back to your condo life where you're watching sitcoms? <laughs> and it's like, dude, if you have a job <sighs> where you can afford a condo and you can watch sitcom reruns, uh, let alone thinking about what kind of sitcoms were around in 1999 versus 2023, <laughs> it's like they didn't know how good they had it. And that's why. No, truly, I, I, I'm i being completely no, serious I mean, absolutely. because the stuff that this movie is criticizing has only gotten so much worse. And then other stuff about the world has also gotten so much yeah. worse that the film's uh, ironic detachment is very apropos to this day, in my opinion. I think it's like, you know. If you want to be hope punk, if you want to be nice core, if you want to say that, uh, you know, you should give someone a Paddington hug instead of a fight club fist, uh, I get it, you know, uh, but that's, that's just, beautiful. that's just that's not poetry. my attitude towards cinema <laughs> and like the world. No, yeah, totally. You know, interesting you say that with the, you know, the thing. Yeah. Cause like at the beginning, like kind of like the lifestyle he leaves was like, it's like, yeah, like he buys furniture from Ikea or whatever. And he, he has like a job where he flies or the flying stuff the flying would be tough but yeah that is funny it is like kind of like the 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 luxuries or whatever you know he's kind of commenting on as bland or like well those luxuries are, are gone now but I, I guess i don't i i have to come out come out you know because it's going to color the conversation i have to say i didn't quite i didn't like this movie i was i wasn't so mm. was this it. your first time watching Fight no Club? i i seen it i saw it okay. and it's it's interesting, right? Because Fight Club, it is like there's so much meta textual stuff to it, right? Like it's kind of 
it got a bad rap. You know, it became like the film, the IE, the evil film, bro, you know, their favorite movie or whatever. Yeah. And uh, you got the poster of Fight yeah. Club and Pulp Fiction on the yeah. wall and you're bad with women yeah. and, uh, and and you're white. Yeah, exactly. And uh, <laughs> fuck you. It, it, yeah. Hey, if you like Fight Club, fuck you. No, it's no, of course not. Of course not. Um, it, it's so it's that this is the rad ass <laughs> feminist film yeah, podcast. Uh, and if your boyfriend has a Fight Club poster, <laughs> fuck you. <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, sorry, I had to get no, that that's, out. That's very cool. Good. Too late. No, but that that kind of I kind of had that in the back of my mind when I first watched this as a teenager, but kind of like trying to leave that at bay. So I, I don't know. All that stuff is very unfair. And I think it's kind of maybe it's too much weight to put up on a movie. You know what I mean? Like, I think I just want to say all that stuff is completely unfair. And Fincher is, you know, a great director. And, you know, despite me not maybe liking liking this, movie, it's like it's, you know, there's some term in terms of craft and whatever. It's like very well made. I, I do enjoy the nihilism and uh, cynicism, you know, to a certain extent, but I, I feel like, um, I don't know, I, I there's just certain aspects of this movie that I feel like I'm supposed to be thrilled or kind of uh, tantalized by, and I just, I never get there. It, it, it kind of, I feel like a lot of this movie kind of drags, but I feel like I, I'm getting too general before we get in, into the plot, so... I, I agree with you. There are a lot of uh, qualms I have with the film, and I feel like a lot of it is uh, the Palinuk source material. I feel like the, a lot of the writing, and just like I don't, like Norton's performance in general, he's not like an actor I'm crazy about yeah. all that much, um, but Norton's performance, just like a lot of the very expository, like it's a little bit like, this feels like, a great analog uh, to Gone Girl or the social network where it's like a similar style of cynicism about just like the neoliberal sort of status quo. But this is just like too literal at mm -hmm. points for me. Like I like when Fincher's going like very genre mode in this. That's when it's like so much more effective yeah. and so much more fun. I do think there are parts of it that are like, pretty funny like despite like i don't know some flaws in the script and like overall like i i'd say i'm probably more positive on this than you are malcolm but like there are definitely some things that like really hamper it and like i mean it's it's way too long too but like i, I don't know there the the good parts really override things that annoy me about it yeah, the length, uh, you said it's too long. Malcolm said it drags. I, I have to say that's a fault I can't really argue with. I don't think he quite understood the masterful pacing uh, until another, like, eight years into his career, frankly, with Zodiac. Like, oh, yeah. Zodiac is maybe a little longer than this and packs in a hundred times more information and feels shorter somehow. Mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, The Social Network might be the greatest pacing ever achieved through editing, camera work, dialogue, etc. Uh, just general direction, general filmmaking. Uh, easily the most, like even-handed break but at the same time breakneck pacing i've ever seen in a film the social network that is fight club yeah maybe he uh he kind of shoots his wad uh, a couple times too early uh uh what's it called uh, who's the guy in american pie again uh, i want to say stifler but stifler doesn't want bust the wad too early jason biggs oh. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jason Biggs style. Uh, kind of blows it too early a couple times where it's like, yeah, the, the pacing isn't quite where it should be. I mean, it picks it's, up it's at not, the end for Yeah, me, no, totally. Certainly. It does, and I think it has a tremendous third act, but I also think that, like, he doesn't quite get the overall dramatic shape yet, and maybe it's because certain scenes are edited with the intention of the scene into itself being a really cool set piece rather than how it flows with the whole two hour and 25 minute product mm-hmm. which it just doesn't sound right like when i queued it up this is the third time i've watched it in the last yeah. five years it doesn't sound right every time it's like no this is uh, this is like 130 minutes maybe nope it's over it's like almost two and a half hours it is kind of ridiculous uh in that regard and frankly that's the only fault that i'll actually take with it because every time i watch this movie i like it more and even if i have to like fucking take a pause and fucking make a meal and, you know, do an intermission because the pacing's not great. Uh, it, just so I can reset myself a little. I, I actually really have grown on this movie a lot, or this movie's grown on me, rather, from my cynicism uh, against its cynicism. Uh, you know, when the dumbest kid I knew in high school told me that it was his favorite movie. And when I was 19 and watched it supposedly too late for the first time and thought, well, I'm smarter than this. And when I was 24 and watched it again and was like, well, it's actually pretty cool, but I'm still smarter than this. <laughs> and then I realized, no, this is in line with Fincher's entire product uh, or his entire project, rather, product. Ooh, boy, Durden would be mad at that. <laughs> The source material of his movies is almost never good. Yeah. Uh, have you tried to read Gone Girl? <laughs> it's not very good. I, not very you know, good. It's funny. I, when Gone Girl came out, I was such a fan of that movie, but I took my autism in the wrong places. You know, instead of watching all the Fincher, I saw that there was this movie coming out that was adapted by the same author. I think it's called like Dark Places, and it was uh, starring Char- Charlize Theron total dog shit you know what i mean so it just proves like fincher's uh you know prowess not that i I don't know gone girl we don't need to sell anyone on that but it's like yeah it is he elevates material that's something he does yeah i mean have you seen the original uh european film of girl with the dragon tattoo or tried to read those books like yeah no those are just like paperback yeah like recyclable whatever like i i I read whatever 50 pages of one but i the movie adaptation of that one originally sucked and that fincher movie is like the biggest improvement from you know source material uh to final product that i've ever seen or up there with his other best work Uh, so i think this is perfectly in line with it i think he takes what's interesting about because what's wrong with the check Chuck Palahniuk text. It's that it's overly literal. The ideas are that that you know a fifteen year old can think of in English class when he reads you know H. G. Wells for the first time or whatever. Uh, it's like not that deep or whatever, but it has the ideas there that are smart. It has a couple of really core ideas that are smart about consumerism culture uh, or consumer culture, consumerism, and the uh, response to that, and, and the response to it, of course, and like what how people feel uh, in response to that and what they can do, of course. Uh, so, what's Fincher doing but getting the best stuff out of that and c- making it come alive? You know, uh, he's turning it into genre set pieces. He's turning it into his mode of filmmaking with heavy voiceover that 
you know, no one really does voiceover like Fincher where he's just kind of laying out the plot for you in voiceover almost. Mm-hmm. But the visual accompaniment is so perfect because he has such a trained eye. And I don't know if it's through the commercials that he shot, the music videos, just the experience through the 80s and early 90s. The guy knows every single angle for every single shot. There are insert shots in this movie that I would just never think of. Like he's going to hang up a payphone and you just get a top down shot from on top of the payphone as it clicks and you get like the tops of the numbers, you know, and you would never really think to shoot that shot that way. Most directors would just stay in the wide and have the guy hang up the phone. But it's this assemblage of images in uh, correspondence with the admittedly dumb source material uh, that creates just a really great cinematic product i mean it's cynical as hell the characters even say you know uh uh what's her name helena bottom carter even says that she goes to the the uh addiction meetings she's addicted to the recovery meetings just like ed norton because it's cheaper than the movies and so that just shows what you know uh in this film's point of view what the movies were at that point again they didn't know how good they had it. 1999, end of history, where we can't lose. People are bored of these movies. These They're like making, you watch the comedy shows of that era. They're all making fun of the Brookheimer Simpson movies. We don't know how fucking good we had it at the time. Uh, and that just makes it so much more tragic for me now, I think. I do think there's like, I mean, what we've talked about, like the surface level read of things like that, that I feel like is just not giving Fincher enough credit. And one, I feel like kind of a strange line of thought that I had going in with it, or like a feeling I got from it, is like very 2008 in a way as well. Like it's obviously, I was like watching the movie and I was like, okay, this is like from 99. But in terms of like, like I feel like there's a cynicism that is kind of pairs like 08 recession cynicism to me. But just the use of digital that I feel like Fincher will evolve and like with this like obviously shot on film but like digital a lot of digital digital effects and I was like I was blown away by how like impactful those images are and just like how clean and like how good they look for 99 like it looks again like I was saying like 2008 like it's like that much of like a jump ahead for me and like uh, in particular there's one moment uh, the Helena Bonham, Bonham Carter, like fucking, like sort of like sequence. Oh, the way when, that's played. Uh, Ed Norton is fucking her in the dream, and it's all yeah, like that weird yeah. 360 animated camera. Yeah, yeah, no, there's a lot of stuff that he does like that, like going like super in, like super zoomed into like tiny little pieces of things like that, and those moments are just like that really pops for me. But it does, I don't know, the the other parts just drag that like drag those parts that are really exciting down. Yeah. But I, I don't know. There's No, and those parts of visual invention, I feel like that's from his commercial experience. Yeah. Like that's yeah. like the kind of stuff you're allowed to do in a commercial, really, because you're just like exper- you're just throwing shit at the wall to please an agency basically. So at this heyday of film commercials, you watch like the stuff he made uh for Nike or the stuff Michael Mann did for Nike, uh the stuff David Fincher did for plenty of companies like that. Uh it's like the camera work's kind of ridiculous. And same with the music videos, you know? Like, that was a playground for him. And so he is able to execute all these crazy special effects shots. And he was a special effects guru even before he was directing, you know? Uh, and so he's just like, 
I don't know, using his experience uh, to create new life into a, what he perceived and what the characters in this would perceive as a stale and dying art form, uh, even though, as we said, we didn't know how good we yeah. had it. 99, that's like one of the best uh, years in American cinema history. You know? Yeah, kind of ironic because yeah, that, that's like the year people look back on, you know what I yeah. mean? And, you know, it is, there's like ton, like, there's a lot of movies, you know, that kind of hit this, this same like theme too, you know what I mean? Kind of like, or maybe not theme, but kind of like the setting of like being bored with like this office life or whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 99 has office this, space, American yeah, yeah. beauty. I mean, American psycho is obviously another. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 99 as well. I right? mean, he, or is that 2000? That's 2001, but you know, close in time. I mean, uh, whatever by Holdebeck. I think is a, a mm. very like you know what I mean. Kind of starts at the same place there. Uh, I guess. Yeah, I think whatever by Michelle Huelbuck is like one of the great uh, like what are we even fucking doing here? Pieces of fiction. Yeah. Uh, like just a guy going on a work trip. The guy has a steady enough job. It's got a good pension or whatever. Uh, it's not American, but it, the ideas translate exactly to American ennui of the late 90s, uh, really just right up until 9-11, I feel, yeah. uh, is like the way that European ennui of the 90s and 2000s kind of feels as well. It, and it's just like a guy with the worst coworker ever taking a work <laughs> trip, kind of. Uh, mm -hmm. And like, that is such a great, it, like that could totally exist in the company that Ed Norton works at in this movie, mm -hmm. you know? Totally. And, and I do uh, agree with you, Eddie, that I feel like just the, in, in retrospect, it has made a lot of the cynicism a lot more cutting and sharp because it is just like, it is funny to think of like, obviously the artistic highs that were reached in 99, but just like the level of comfort and like, like mm -hmm. even the Ikea furniture looks better than like the dog shit Ikea furniture yeah. you yeah. get now. Oh, I like, love the way he stylizes that Ikea monologue, by the way. I think that's, that's something that like a lot of cynical film people dump on now is the Ikea stuff. But again, you know, it, it, it's a deep irony that how actually beautiful it is. But the thing is, he's talking about buying things to create himself, but he's buying it from a catalog where everyone's buying it. Uh, and, you know, it, it's a very simple idea. But you know what? Halfway through the movie, I went out onto my fire escape to take a little intermission. Mm -hmm. And I peeped across, I went a little rear window mode, right? I, I peep across to another apartment <laughs> building and every apartment is furnished the exact same, even if they have really nice pieces, you know? And so it's this faux individualism. It's obviously, you know, it's a, it's a, it's almost weird that uh, Trent Reznor wasn't already scoring his stuff at this point. It's like that Nine Inch Nails song, Every Day is Exactly the Same, you know? It's a, it's a very like, dead end consumer culture critique that has only gotten worse of course and uh like so many others i had become a slave to the ikea nesting instinct uh, yes I'd like to order the erica picari dust ruffles if i saw something clever like a little coffee table in the shape of a yin yang i had to have it the klipsk personal office unit the hovatrek home exerbike or the Yohanneshov sofa with the string green stripe pattern. Even the Rizlampa wire lamps of environmentally friendly unbleached paper. I'd flip through catalogs and wonder, what kind of dining set defines me as a person? I had it all, 
Even the glass dishes with tiny bubbles and imperfections, proof that they were crafted by the honest, simple, hardworking indigenous peoples of wherever. I, was. I think one of the best ways that he visualizes it is the first, very first image in Ed Norton's office is a Starbucks cup on top of a Xerox. And it looks like, because of the perspective, it looks like the cup is shooting past the screen, but it's like actually just the line of the Xerox machine or whatever. And, you know, sure. That is on the nose, but the image of a Xerox machine repeating a Starbucks cup and the way that Fincher frames it and then pulls back and shows like the wide, very geometric and gray office space. It's like he's already kind of a god at this point, I think. I mean, Seven's before this, and I think Seven's even a little better. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like, I, I think at this point, maybe he's not the goat of like pacing two hour 20 minute movies yet uh like he hadn't figured that out yet but he he had it from right okay. away i think right. i think maybe where my problem comes in is that i do kind of like the ideas and i like maybe you know there's definitely visual stuff i enjoy here like like a lot of the flair stuff you know it's you guys are talking mm -hmm. about helena bonham carter that sex scene where it's like all blurry or whatever um you know i i, I appreciate most of that stuff i guess I, I I don't like the the drabness of and I know it's all part of the thing, but kind of like the look of kind of like you know the the greasy city and the nastiness mm -hmm. and the dilapidated Victorian house and uh, you know just the and the I guess the another big setting would be like where they host the Fight Club, the warehouse floor. Mm -hmm. I I just. To be honest, I... It's beneath a bar, right? Yeah, yeah. Not a warehouse. Yeah, yeah, I just... I never could... I just found... I don't know. I just like the, the, the color temperature of it. I never quite... It looked it looked kind of ugly to me in, in a way that I, I guess I know is intentional, but I, I felt... I don't know. It's just maybe was a little too rigid for me It's in, in, in its intentionality. Mm. And I, I just... I kind of get tired of hanging out in these drab low light settings and i don't know i like you mentioned seven i feel like it's it's kind of coming at a lot of similar visual ideas that we feel in seven that i just feel are just executed a little bit better and i don't know i just i guess it doesn't it's not it's not a great the greatest critique but i just kind of get tired of the color of these settings and i kind of just don't mm -hmm. enjoy hanging out in them and and what what happens in them doesn't quite make up for that for me yeah, I mean, for me, it's like that, not the visual tone, but the tone as it emerges in dialogue a lot of the time sometimes will just be like kind of like bleh or like annoying yeah. for me. I, like I, I do think there are like bits like the the huge tit, the huge titted man. Bob has bitch. Hey, that's yeah, not funny if a man funny. has bitch now. <laughs> It's not funny if there's a fat man with breasts. I don't find that funny Wait, at all. Hey, you call it, you're the one who are about, was about to call them bitches. <laughs> hey, man, I'm just saying. I, there's some reason I don't like that. Bob. Bob had bitch tits. This was a support group for men with testicular cancer. 
yeah, <laughs> Meatloaf playing Bob, aka Bitch Tits, is a very funny performance, and uh, it like it does have a heart to it too. And that's the yeah, that's exactly. what makes it so biting. Is that like yeah, you're completely using this guy, and he's a very sad character, but it's also funny because that's the whole point of the movie. Uh, and yeah, so he meets Bitch Tits, played by Meatloaf, at this like uh, you know um, support group, and he gets addicted to support groups and that's where he meets Helena Bonham Carter and uh, so Ed Norton is being addicted to support groups is such a end of the 20th century like Gen X burnout type thing to me you know all these guys used to be alcoholics and drug addicts and everything all these Gen X guys and were in those recovery meetings in the 90s and stuff like that you know there's plenty of 90s sitcoms that have episodes about people going to you know blank anonymous meetings like the Rageaholics Seinfeld yeah, yeah. and everything and it's a very of its time thing um, and so I think that it's just you know, it's super cynical, of course. It talks but, about how Bitch Tits got cancer because he was juicing. And it really is just an extension of the Kevin Spacey backseat monologue at the end of Seven, where he's, like, talking about why he killed all of his victims. And he was, like, uh, you know, a man who couldn't stop eating and a woman who <laughs> sold her pussy. <laughs> and it's just like, all right, dude, those are just people, you know. Uh <laughs> But I, I think that this movie is about trying to understand that viewpoint, which I think is an abhorrent viewpoint. But Fincher's just so good at like exploring these different types of strange American psyches. I, and I mean, I do think there's an interesting like kind of empathy like hidden within there. Like mm -hmm. obviously, what like the Helena Bonham Carter character doing the same thing as Norton is meant to uh, really bring out like how exploitative and hollow of what an act that he the act that he is doing is but he's like just searching to feel like he can't sleep because he like wants to just be alive and be a person and i think there's something very present in that that like basically all of the characters there are just sort of searching for that like connection and feeling and i think that like i don't know that undercuts like a little bit of the cynicism in a way that I enjoy. Like, it's not like, I mean, it is pretty cold and like removed and like making a mockery of people at certain points. But I do think it's, it is coming from a place of where it's like, oh, well, you have nothing. Like, it's just like they want something to fill the void. I, I like these flashes of Brad Pitt as Tyler Durden in the first 20 minutes before yeah. we meet him. Uh, just. I think if you don't know the twist ending of the movie, it kind of tells you throughout the whole movie that Tyler Durden is, you know, part of Edward Norton's, you know, psyche. Uh, and I love the way that Fincher shows it, though, because it just gets like spliced in a couple frames at a time, similar to what Brad Pitt's character, you know, says he does at work as a projectionist. Uh, we'll get to that in a second, of course, because that's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Uh, but it just feels like we're very subjectively into the mind of a guy who has had his brain fried by like all the electrical wiring in his apartment almost and so like his psych uh like his psychic breaks are represented by these like glitchy things you know even though it's shot on film it's digital effects and uh, i i really like that as just a guy whose brain has been fried by sitting in front of a computer and a tv for so long too mm-hmm yeah, no, and again, that, like, brings out, like, there are these glitchy effects, like, digital effects, there are points where it's just, like, 
really bring it's funny it's using digital to bring out like celluloid mm-hmm. qualities in the movie which is just a funny sort of like mishmash and pairing there and again those are the parts that are the most effective for me because it's like I I don't know. It's how Fincher will evolve one in like the treatment of like this sort of like neoliberal like Drek and blah. And then also the way he is incorporating like well later like digital cinematography and digital effects like to a further extent. But uh, again, just a lot of the the tone and like text itself yeah. mm-hmm. is fighting against that for well, me. Well, yeah, it's, it's like all this stuff that we're mentioning is good. And I like, like I like the beginning of the movie, maybe more so than kind of like the middle sequence. And then I think it, like you guys said, it picks up towards the end. I, I like the finale, you know, how could you not, you know what I mean? But I, I feel like, like just a lot of this movie, you know what I mean? We're, we're with the fight club and they're like fighting, I guess. And, you know, that's, and we're getting like a lot of like, these rules or whatever and then like these plans and like kind of like declarations of like their new lifestyle and i here's a and maybe maybe i'm doing the thing where i'm like i'm like wanting to be smarter than the movie and you know what i mean i i want to i want to see where i'm at maybe i'm not coming from the best place but it's like where i know that the movie is not like endorsing or whatever like the dirt and stuff obviously it's like this is a reaction to the the bland and like a consumerist lifestyle that we've led you know that brought us to this point and you know there's going to be you know this is our way of dealing with it for better or for worse you i think i feel like the fault of the movie it's like you are supposed to be tantalized by brad pitt's behavior you know what i mean like yeah and it's alluring I, his whole thing is I, alluring yeah. and you know just to me go ahead i i i don't quite get there i kind of it does kind of i i just don't i don't find tyler durden cool i just have to i have to come yeah. out and say yeah. i get that. I, and and, yeah. I, and i know the like the movie is not you know like the i i think even of course the movie is like undercutting that stuff and it you know goes out of its way but i think a lot of the movie relies on you being kind of tantalized by all the fighting and by Durden's actions and his swagger and all that. And I just can't get there. I, I kind of find it just a little bit annoying to be, to be frankly yeah. honest. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the anarchy as a reaction to just like consumerist boredom for me does just feel like kind of like an impotent wank. Like, it's just like what I do. I mean, but that doesn't, for me, it doesn't really like, depreciate anything there because I feel like there are like there are a lot of people that like are like tantalized by that Mm -hmm. and even if I can't get into it on the level of the film trying to affect you like oh like like there's this crazy cool anarchic anarchic lifestyle that you can like tap into I can understand the appeal for other people even if it's like I don't know I, I it's just that shit does kind of play as lame to me no, I mean Brad Pitt, Tyler Durden's whole thing is fucking like Reddit. Like his yeah. his worldview is super lame. I I think yeah. honestly, yeah, yeah. like his his snickering attitude and everything. Like I that's not a guy I would like. Yeah. I think the reason the film is effective is because that's a guy that Edward Norton would. Yeah, that's a guy that the 1999 American end of history middle class white man needs to unleash his inner beast. Yeah. Uh, he he needs to go gorilla. <laughs> 
mindset mode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I reckon. And yeah. Like, I, I think that's why that works. I, I, I'm with you. I totally get that. And you know what, Malcolm, you bringing up depiction endorsement bullshit, like that actually makes sense though, because it's like, it's a thin line of how much you can stand to be around a character you hate, even when you understand yeah. the objectives of the character, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, because there's other movies that have been like that for me where it's like, I get it. I just hate yeah. it. You know, uh, like a lot of movies that center around detestable protagonists, just fucking up their lives and stuff. You know, it's, that's such a thin line for me where sometimes I love it. I love it when Albert Brooks does it. <laughs> I hate it when a non-Jewish guy, does it, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, we talked a little bit about like with sideways, like, like as well I yeah think sideways i get yeah. yeah that's like you know if if you really don't like spending time with the characters then yeah you're kind of out of luck with the movie the difference though between sideways and this is that i think like you said right like this is this character is the type that the edward norton your average 99 male office drone would respond to right i think fincher puts you he also treats the movie as if you're that person watching it. You know what I mean? And like, I like with Sideways, like there's always like an inherent critique or whatever. There's always something kind of undercutting that. Where I guess I feel like here, like I think like the stuff that's shown, I think like it's presented in a way where it will be undercut or whatever. But I feel like as the as the viewer, you are expected to kind of feel that rush with him and i i'm just i i I really can't get there i guess yeah no i get that i think that the reason the film works for the first half isn't because i'm interested in durden's world but so much as like seeing how you know edward norton projects durden Mm -hmm. knowing the end of the movie seeing why he's doing all these things subconsciously and also just fincher working at the top of his game but you know we're gonna we're gonna start wa- talking in circles here if we uh, keep getting stuck on this. So let's keep moving through the movie a bit. Uh, I do want to talk uh, briefly about Durden explaining his job as a projectionist. This is also like an end of history thing for me because it's like uh, it's end of film history. You know, you can't do this anymore after uh, maybe ten years after this movie came out or so. There were no more you know film projectors at multiplexes, and you couldn't uh, splice in a frame of pornography into a into a family friendly film could, like Brad Pitt does here. You couldn't be a pedophile like you could back then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no, but it's just it's funny just thinking this isn't not like a critique. This is just a funny op, but it's like like in ninety nine it's like, oh that's like a cool, like random edgy thing to do. And out of all of like the edgy things he does, like that is one of the things I enjoy the most. But like I feel like yeah. like now people people would be like what is he a groomer pedophile? Like, what the hell's wrong with that? Like, <laughs> well, that's what that's what the right wing audience would say because nobody nobody calls people pedophiles more than Republicans these days, man. It's crazy. Uh, it's 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 gotten to the point where they're at the level of like irony bros on Twitter. Oh yeah, like, yeah. it's pretty great. Uh, but regardless, Tyler was a night person. While the rest of us were sleeping, he worked. He had one part-time job as a projectionist. See, a movie doesn't come all on one big reel. It comes on a few. So someone has to be there to switch the projectors at the exact moment that one reel ends and the next one begins. If you look for it, you can see these little dots come into the upper right-hand corner of the screen. In the industry, we call them cigarette burns. That's the cue for a changeover. 
He flips the projectors, movie keeps right on going, and nobody in the audience has any idea. Why would anyone want this shit job? Because it affords him other interesting opportunities. Like splicing single frames of pornography into uh, family. Yeah, film. no, I think that bit is very dark and funny and very stupid, but also it's a great like uh, identity for Pitt because it's like that is he's obviously a figment of Edward Norton's imagination. He exists in these blips, in these flickers uh, for the first and last parts of the movies, uh, er, of the movie, and then he himself is a projectionist flickering in these pornographic frames. And it feels like just a critique on, you know, uh, the very obvious, like, subconscious messages in film. You know, David Fincher being like, yeah, you know those people who talk about that kind of stuff? They're fucking idiots. Uh, and there's so much more in the details of any film uh, that will actually affect your brain more than someone splicing in uh, something, you know, psychologically provocative. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's part of the point is, like, mocking it. Like... I don't think David Fincher thinks Tyler Durden is cool. I think no, like if you were to not. say that, that would be a misread. I do agree that David Fincher wants you to fall for the allure yeah, of Tyler I Durden. Yeah, I think I think yeah. I think that he has enough distance though, and the film holds its subjects at enough distance, like all of Fincher's films do. But I also yeah, I, I get where you guys are coming from that on that. Um, I think some of the humor in this is very fun, especially in montage. You know, when Pitt's given all the goons the homework assignment, like to start a fight with somebody, uh, and you get uh, Holt McCallany, uh, who would come back to the Fincherverse later in Mindhunter and uh, was, you know, one of the leads in Black Hat. He's the mechanic there, just like hosing people down, walking by on the sidewalk, and I don't know, stuff like that, just like really well-executed, dumb physical comedy bits. You know, Fincher's such a perfectionist that if he's going to have a dumb physical comedy bit, it's going to be executed perfectly. And there are, like, I don't know, there are definitely, for me, like, with the type of jokes that are played, like, there's, like, a definitely a very clear, like, critique of that type of dumb bro-y kind of stuff <laughs> present like how frequently the threat of like having your balls cut off is like <laughs> used as like a torture mechanism um by the way all right can i just get here's a barometer for how much you know you can do or do without the writing of this movie your reaction to the line my god i haven't been fucked like that since grade school um annoying <laughs> I still think it's funny. Uh, I also, here's another, like, Pitt's, like, talking directly to camera. It's like, like, you're more, you're khakis or whatever, and then the film shakes. It's like, it's a bit tacky now. You know what I mean? Is it? Sure, yeah. there are some, there are some choices in here <laughs> that are a bit much. It's, it's, it's a bit, yeah. I, I don't know. And so I guess it's, it's interesting because I feel like sometimes, I feel like most of the time on this podcast, maybe mm -hmm. I'm complimenting a filmmaker for kind of making decisions like that and i don't know maybe it is like i i brought it up before it like the weight that has been put upon this movie i really i really think it's it's too much and maybe i, I every time i like i dislike a movie on this podcast i'm always like trying to convince myself to like it i don't know why but like it's it, i just i i guess i don't i guess it's it's kind of hard to can i separate it to that extent you know what i mean it, it's i don't know if, if it's i i guess I'm, I'm kind of rambling here, but I guess what I was trying to get at is I, kind I, of like, wh where am I coming at with things? Am I like, even in my best to trying to be unbiased, are these preloaded notions 
of what something in still creeping in. It's something that I always try to ask myself, I guess. I, I do feel like reputation for me does like creep in a little bit to the point where it like annoys me. Cause I, I, same thing with you. It's like things that are like tacky or like really garish. Like just, I, I, I like that a lot of the time, but something like this, I, 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 it just, there are bits of it. it, Again, it's just like a matter of feeling like that. I feel like is all like it will boil down to. And I do like, I'm going a little bit more harsh and like siding with you, um, Malcolm on like some of the critiques, but overall I think it's a pretty good movie. Like I definitely, um, can push away some of the material a little bit more. And like the parts of the film that I think are really effective, like as I'm sure we'll get into like the uh, the final bits there really like make some of the conceits like I, I don't know for me like the the like I, I like how you have read Eddie like the projection that uh, Durden is and I think that's like really effective like on paper and like but just watching it sometimes it, it just it does like it annoyed me knowing it's like, oh, there's like the twist reveal of yeah. it there. But then it like plays out so effectively where like uh, when I came over to your house, like before we started the podcast, and I got to watch like those last 15 minutes again. There are really fun parts where you're like seeing like Edward Norton, like kick his own ass. Mm-hmm. And like when you're like Fincher's playing with that in a really fun way that like for me like is is far more enjoyable than the like just getting irked at like the notion of it yeah um you know the ending of it uh is of course the the master plan after they've built this army of goons at the fight club and the the way that they're able to transition it from being a fight club to building an army of goons is Basically, uh, Tyler Durden, you know, which is just Ed Norton, gets the shit beat out of him by the guy who owns the bar that they're doing it at. And he just acts as a martyr. He just lets the guy pound him in the face as many times as he wants. And then he beats the shit out of that guy. Uh, But it's this act of martyrdom uh, that makes him a god to these people. It's literally like a Christ thing, you know. Uh, And then so all of these members of the Fight Club just become cult members, essentially, and just cause chaos, do all this local terrorism in the name of Durden's uh, disruption. Uh, And then it all is going to mount with the explosion of these central credit card companies, which it's so funny. It's like for a film that looks ahead so much, it has such an old view of like, yeah, so we'll erase everyone's credit card debt by blowing up the building. (laughs) Everything will be clean. Like that's a that's a 1930s ass way of clearing debt. (laughs) But I, I like how dumb that is. No, That's uh, because it's like the film is clearly aware that things are about to change. Maybe, you know, it's like, yeah, very soon after this, there will be exclusively digitally banking. <laughs> and and I do think there's like a level of like, like Fincher presenting like cynicism to the dumb guy, like ridiculous solutions to this here. And that it is like uh, when Norton like just beats the shit out of Jared Leto and it's like I just wanted to destroy something beautiful. He is getting at the element of there that's just like there is just like the impulse for destruction is certainly overwhelming like any desire to create something like, to create a new system. Like I think there's like a, there is a cynicism in that in their response like that yeah. is like 
equally as sharp as like what he's saying about consumerist culture. Also, Jared Leto with that bleached hair and bleached eyebrows, he deserved to get his face bashed in. I was, uh, you know, Jared Leto getting his face bashed in, oddly satisfying. <laughs> uh, so anyway, the the reveal happens before this climax. I actually always forget that. I always think he realizes he's also Tyler Durden, like right as the Pixie song is coming in. Uh, and then when I come back to it, it's like, no, there's like 30 minutes of him realizing, you know, and it makes for a much better third act. <laughs> he realizes it with like 20 minutes left in the movie uh, and he's you know fighting Durden with this self-conscious realization that he's fighting himself and uh, that he has set all of this up by himself and the the final meeting with Helena Bonham Carter of course you get the pixies needle drop and again it's like they're not kings and queen they're not the king and queen of the world this guy just tried to blow his brains out and missed and because he's split personalities he was able to blow it through brad pitt's head i guess but uh and like you know it's it's really just that they could take solace in this moment of being total fuck-ups and uh yeah i i just think it's a uh it's a beautiful ending that uh i hate to say it still is a still is a bit hair raising for me it's still like whoa damn dude where is my mind <laughs> it's a great needle drop you really can't deny that you know it's like it's yeah if you think you're above that needle drop you gotta go back to sincerity school like, and the only yeah. reason you would think you'd be above it is just because it's been like ingrained into like as a joke or you know what i mean like if yeah. you didn't know about that it, it would probably hit even harder you know what i mean uh who did this i did actually find some gauze Yes, but it's okay. Marla, look at me. I'm really okay. Trust me. Everything's gonna be fine. You met me at a very strange time in my life. My only slight zag there is that I will say, as far as Pixies needle drops go, I might prefer the one in Southland. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, especially because it's that alternate version, the UK surf version <laughs> of Wave of Mutilation <laughs> after John Lovitz drops Flow My Tears. <laughs> That's the best thing in the history of the world. <laughs> uh, anyway, four bullets for me. I know I liked it a lot more than you guys. I think that uh, it's it's genuinely a great movie and you know, reputation be damned. I'm, I'm, I'm with the bros. It's sick. Um, I'm gonna go three and a half bullets. Um, it's really on the line between three and a half and three for me. But I feel like going into it this time with like placing it in the course of Fincher's career and like going full just narrow scope autorism, I can see just so much laid out there and what he like will accomplish uh, that I, I don't know. I'm able to engage with that a lot and uh, not like 
engage less with the parts of the text that just are like fuck this this is the like it's way like i feel like fincher also gets significantly better at like paring down source material mm-hmm. like especially like social network yeah. like whipping a whip, source material yeah, into exactly shape, yeah. exactly no yeah i'm gonna give this two and a half bullets because like i do enjoy kind of like the cynicism and like the the humor of it especially kind of in the beginning and I guess I, you know, you guys brought up some good points to where I feel like I will rewatch this movie in my lifetime with trying to keep an open mind because I feel like there's some stuff, especially towards the end that you mentioned that I, I didn't quite, uh, you know, feel necessarily, but maybe it, it's because I kind of already checked out a little bit, you know, in my because I, I really just, I, I guess I, I like some of the stuff that's mentioned, some of the schemes and like, kind of fun that's to be had in this movie i guess i just i'm never quite there with it and it's never i don't know like I, this is kind of a dumb critique but it's like I, I it is like all the the fighting and violence is like it's done in a way where i guess it's there's more of an emphasis on i guess like the the bleeding than it is like the artistry of fighting or whatever but i don't know it just kind of gets a, a yeah little, for sure yeah. i i do say yeah. for a movie called fight club the fight choreography does leave something to be desired. And there's a lot of it, too. It's like, that's the thing. You know what I mean? There's like... I would actually say there's less fighting than you would think a movie called Fight Club yeah. Exactly, yeah. There's still a good that's, amount. That's my, that's my take. There's a good amount. There's a good amount. I would say I agree. There's a good <laughs> amount. Uh, Thumbs up, Finch. Um, yeah, and I guess also what you're talking about before with pacing and how Fincher's kind of become a master of pacing and... and I honestly think it's probably my favorite quality of him in a director. And it's maybe why I gravitate towards kind of Zodiac on, like, I love all those movies dearly. I, I mean, I, I guess I don't love Dragon Tattoo, but I like it like a lot. Like, I like it a lot. Um, uh, so like that. And I know you love Mank. Oh, yeah, actually, no. Mank, Mank uh, fucking sucks so bad, dude. Mank, Mank, uh, Mank, Mank is the worst. That's the only, that. to be honest, I can't. For the killer, I know the killer's going to be good because it's it's his wheelhouse. But Mank's the only thing. Mank will not be getting a revisit from me. Is all I'm going to say. I will be. I will be rewatching. <laughs> dude, Fight Club you got to get Mank. Dude, Mank. I. <laughs> Mank kind of gets me heated, dude. Mank thinking like thinking about Mank is like. What a fucking! I man. remember you showed me a picture oh my of uh, my old roommate David falling asleep during. It was like you and David both asleep on the couch when Mank was on. <laughs> no, dude. It's here's. I'll I'll tell you. I'll say the full thing because it's actually even scarier and worse. Um, um, it was uh, me, Scott, and David hanging out. You know. And we're watching Mank to cap off the night, as any good night, uh, you know, begins. And and uh, and. <laughs> You know, we're all a little tired. I'm I'm awake, but like my eyes are droopy as hell in this photo. I'm wearing like yeah. a black T-shirt, and David's asleep with his hands in his pants. <laughs> his hands. <laughs> <laughs> having lived having lived with David for a year, not an uncommon occurrence. Somehow, there was a lot of uh, a lot of times I'd come home, bar rescues on the TV. David's got his hand sleep, in his pants. Sleep <laughs> to John Taffer. <laughs> Well, maybe it's the dreams. No, it's just you're going, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, going yeah. married with children. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, that's you're just, just being comfort. A, you're just being a man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Married with children showed me that touching yourself is about comfort, yeah. not pleasure. You know, I, not a movie that I, I really am going to sing the praises to all day, but one thing I do like about Call Me By Your Name, I remember the character was always touching his dick, and I was like, 
Respect to that. That's actually a good touch. Is that how you knew he was gay? <laughs> yeah, he's like, you like jacking off this too guy, much, but this for that guy other reason. can't get enough dick. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> before we wrap up here on Fight Club, I want to real quick do a rapid fire Fincher ranking. So if I remember correctly, Malcolm, you have not seen Benjamin Button, uh, and you said you also haven't seen Panic Room? No, Alien 3. Alien 3. JT, which ones haven't you seen? Uh, Button, Mank, Panic Room. All right. Uh, how do you guys want to do this? Just rapid fire, each of us goes? Yeah. We, All right. Yeah. Uh, I'll go first. I would say count, going down from number one, the best movie he ever made is Gone Girl. Gone Girl, Zodiac, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Social Network, Seven, Fight Club, tied with The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Panic Room, The Game, Mank, Alien Three. Okay, you you might have to you might hear me figuring this out along as I say it. But, okay, uh, Gone Girl One, Zodiac Two, Social Network Three. Uh, I gotta give uh, four to seven, then Dragon Tattoo Five, Game Six, Fight Club Seven. Uh, Oh fuck! Wait, no. I put Panic Room before Fight Club. Yeah. So Fight but Club after, would be down to eight. Yeah, Fight Club. So Panic Room seven, Fight Club eight. Fuck man, not on the list. Damn. <laughs> JT. Um, I'm going Gone Girl number one, then Zodiac, uh, Dragon Tattoo. Wait, did all three of us have that same top three? Uh, Gone Girl, Zodiac, Dragon Tattoo. No, no, I said Social Network three. Social Network, yeah. yeah. Social Network and Dragon Tattoo for me. They're that's fighting. T- yeah. That's tied yeah. for three for me. Yeah. I can't I, choose. I, I, Social Network. I always, literally, every day, I, I say, "Sue you in federal court." I say that every day <laughs> because of the every day network. I say, uh, "Bong hit." <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Social Network is four for me. Uh, then seven. Then the game. Then Fight Club. Then Alien three. Nice. Alien 3, kind of dog turd. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, I wanted it to be good, just like, you know it's bad when it's a David Fincher movie, and an hour in, I was like, well, maybe it'll just be good as an Alien movie, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That didn't really (laughs) happen either. (laughs) And I watched the special, like, a work print version, too, that's supposed to be closer to, like, what he wanted to do with the movie, and it was just... It was dog shit. Gotta yeah. be honest. Uh, I like Mank a lot better than that one. I still have Mank as his second worst, though. Uh, but I still have Mank at a gentleman's three stars. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll, I'll Mank up. Dude, you gotta Mank off. <laughs> mank Making, me up before make, you go-go. Manking mm-hmm. off, maybe. Maybe. That, you yeah. know, I, might, I, I might be able to endorse Manking off. Hey, there's that guy. I'm so manked. <laughs> I'm so manked. People, hey, people, mank has brought people together. There's been couples. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Of mank, I forgot about you know, that beautiful I mean? article. There was that, like, human interest <laughs> article last year about human. a couple that came together through the powers of mank. <laughs> human interest stories these days, they get quite crazy. I hear they're still together. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> nice. That's beautiful. We'll be right back on Extended Clip. It was an inspired idea. A staged double murder committed by a racist cop captured on tape by a movie star with political ties. Go! But no one could have anticipated the untimely arrival of Officer Bart Bookman. 
I've been rewatching Breaking Bad and I've noticed that they watch a little bit of Stooges in that show, which is pretty sick. Oh yeah, no, that's a great yeah. moment. Yeah. No, that um I don't know. That that show's really good. Obviously it's really good, but like I feel like you see some takes sometimes, like people like kinda undercut it. Like I, I feel like season one is maybe like not of the highest quality. Yeah, I thought then, you. I saw. Didn't you post something about not liking? I well, I, I I didn't like it, but I think honestly, once season two starts, it gets really good. I, I yeah. think the first. I legit think the first season is kind of like. Well, there's like, some parts yeah. th- like I rewatched it relatively yeah. recently, and I feel like there are parts of it that are like I don't know weaker. Like yeah. I uh, Better Call Saul, I think is a lot. Uh, better and uh, there it's just that is really fun because it's uh, all digital and I think some of the best like digital cinematography I've seen like TV movies like anything like that's uh, that's top tier and just the character stuff I don't know sometimes with Breaking Bad like it is wears a little thin despite I don't know I, I like the set pieces a lot yeah, I uh, I finally finished it up. I think it's just the problem with Breaking Bad is that it's stuck between serialization and like uh, repetitiveness uh, because it's such a repetitive show, and that's what TV is is repetition. But it's also breaking the you know serialized prestige TV ground. And it's kind of caught in between the two. And I think that there are amazing episodes. There are whatever episodes. There are bad episodes. You know, there's everything. Breaking Bad kind of runs the whole gamut for me. I don't even think there's like bad, bad episodes. But like there's a certain point where uh, like four episodes in a row, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'll come back to this in a month. You know, like yeah. I'm just not that into it for spurts. But then it really can pick up momentum for a few yeah. episodes at a time. And I think at its high points, it's like, you know, what am I going? Fight Club Part 2 here? Breaking Bad? It's actually pretty good. No, but what you were saying about the digital cinematography of Saul is really intriguing. Uh, I've just seen screenshots and stuff, and it looks really interesting. It's and, yeah. it's beautiful. They uh, talk a little bit about it, it in some of the... Um, like just behind the scenes featurettes I've seen where they just, they would use a lot of, uh, cause it's all like, again, like Breaking Bad just shot in Albuquerque. And because like the digital cameras are obviously able to pick up a lot of just like low light stuff, they would try to use as much just like natural light from like whatever, like buildings or like outside where they are. And uh, yeah, no, it looks, the show looks beautiful. And I think the character work is like a little bit more nuanced. Uh, It's just, it's fun watching. I mean, Odin Kirk is like, breakout like performance of breaking bad um and giving him a little bit more depth is neat and uh i I like no the the story being told in all flashback like has more of a shakespearean tragedy element to it where i you know like it's him like after breaking bad like you see little flashes of it but it's the most of the show is just him becoming like a shitty fuck up lawyer. Well, that seems like it leans into the noir kind of thing too, with the flashback and subjectivity and everything like that. It uses the repetition in an interesting way too, because the show I think is a lot about like 
process Mm -hmm. and just like either like the legal process of like all the work you have to do for very like boring shit or like there are a lot of like there's a lot of con man stuff and long con schemes Mm. that you see build very fun in that regard nice speaking of long cons before we get back into the program uh on tv specifically i was re-watching recently the 30 rock episode uh with the cake scam where kelsey Grammer is employed by uh, jenna to (laughs) run the scam of a lifetime uh getting refunds on cakes and i gotta say uh, as far as like dumb legacy uh return roles go kelsey Grammer as fraser or Frazier in 30 Rock is like, <laughs> that fucking kills me, man. I, I mean, I know that people just don't want their reunions and reboots anymore. But the thing is, there's a reason why people want it is because then it works, it works, you know? And yeah. so when I see Kelsey Grammer on 30 Rock as Frazier, uh, it makes me very happy inside. Welcome back to Extended Clip. It is Malcolm in the Middle. Life is unfair. Malcolm, how's life been treating you? Life's been treating me well. You know, I've been thinking we might need to re- rename the segment to from Malcolm in the middle to Malcolm's LGBT movie corner because second <laughs> second week in a row I've picked in uh <laughs> picked a, a a movie I guess pertaining to the gay community. Oh, Last so is week that laughable was... to you, JT? No, it's laughable just... subject matter. <laughs> no, 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 no. I um, you uh, you literally live in the gayberhood. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, I last week it was bottoms. Uh, this week it's a little bit different. It's cruising, uh, directed by William Friedkin. Uh, and uh, what a movie! I mean, this movie is this movie is literally insane. Yeah, you know, you obviously think of like Dress to Kill. It kind of has like this weird kind of like scaredness slash fascination with its like subjects like it's like equally interested and like kind of like horrified you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. i guess cruising to get to the plot it's like al pacino there's been some murders in the gay bdsm community and al pacino is going undercover um and he's going to these clubs trying to find the killer and i just the the hauntedness that Pacino acts with is just I don't know like I feel like this movie is just a perfect blend of things that makes it just so unique like um like these I think of the two settings that are most prominent throughout the the movie kind of like the gay clubs which there's like literally like 50 minutes of like gay clubbing in this movie Um, oh yeah Pacino's just Pacino's just like just kind of looking around just like damn this is crazy and and then then it's like there's the amount the of time you spend in the club in go go tales it's like that much yeah it's like a a lot of in the club <laughs> and then we got like the park too and it's like these are almost like two um, I don't know two different ends of the coin of like fantasy settings like kind of like the way freaking shoots that park with like the deep blues and kind of like the weird labyrinths that people go in to like hook up. Like, it literally almost, it reminded me of, like, uh, equal parts of, like, a Giallo and also kind of, like, reminded me of, like, the the Scottish village of Brigadoon or something like that in, in, a, <laughs> in a strange way. Um, just kind of, like, it's the, the way it kind of um, ups the spectacle of, you know, of these acts and kind of, 
I don't know, brings kind of a, a richness and, and color to them. And uh, I don't know, just kind of the the dark, I mean, it's a dark movie throughout, but kind of like the very silent march that Pacino's character does that, you know, is never really outwardly spoken. It's just kind of felt. And then uh, the impact of that ending and Pacino kind of looking directly at the camera as it dissolves into a sunset, it is like, I don't know. I, I really can't think of a movie that's a, it's a very unique movie cruising. And I, I, I don't know. It's just, there's, there's not many movies that strikes uh, uh, as many different tones as it does. And kind of the, I don't know, the, the fear, the fear that Pacino has kind of gives it just a, such a strange haunted energy. It's, it's a, it's quite something to behold. Yeah, I mean, the fear that he carries throughout his performance, uh, in addition to all the color gel lighting and, uh, you know, spooky environments is what really relates it to Giallo, I think. It's like, yeah. visually, it seems like it's influenced by, like, Argento and stuff like that, but also the way that Pacino acts, it's weird. It's like he's both the investigator of the murders and the next victim, uh, yeah. where a giallo will usually split those into a male and female role. Uh, and yeah, I, I just think it's a, it's a pretty great film. I, I really need to rewatch it. Uh, JT, have you seen cruising? Uh, no, I want to check it out. Mm. I need to do more Friedkin. I mean, yeah. seems like the man. No, me too. I've only seen the big hits really. Yeah. Uh, JT, you seen anything good recently? Uh, yes, it's, nearing the end of summer and uh sometimes you just want to match a movie to a mood and uh something that i had always i don't know feels like the ultimate end of summer movie or the perpetual end of summer is uh john millius's uh the big wednesday from 1978 uh with jan michael vincent uh gary Busey. um I don't know. I had not uh, heard much about the film. Uh, I really only know Milius like through uh, like scripts that he's written, and this is the first uh, directorial effort of his that I have seen. Um, and I was just really curious because I mean, obviously, he has this like big, rugged, like man's man persona. People, I feel like, in terms of his uh, directorial efforts, think more of like. Uh, the Red Dawn, yeah, um, as like work he's really known for, and this is kind of like a seven, like I don't know, it goes back in time before that, but it's like this hangout film, like kind of akin to like American Graffiti, which not a movie I'm all necessarily all that crazy about, but and this I think is pretty good. Like there are parts of it that I enjoy more than others, but it's just like surfers like hanging out in the beach. Just the way they mature, like come of age, go about their lives, but return to the beach, mm -hmm. the big waves and the surf. And like uh, it cuts throughout many points in their lives. Um, and then they'll just meet up, sort of talk, surf it out uh, and have those moments. And nice. uh, the, I don't know. That's the most effective parts of the film for me are like the big surfing moments. There's some very like just insane like shots for it's just like how did they accomplish this in like 78 getting like a camera like on like a board like covering mm. like stuff with like waves just very impressive stuff i wish it had more of like the just long hangout feel there are parts of it for me that 
are a little bit too like okay you have you hit the vietnam war beats there there is like a really funny like long sequence where a bunch of the fellas are like uh getting called up for the draft Mm -hmm. and have to do just like wild shit like one of them dresses up like a nazi and goes in like into the draft office is just being racist so he doesn't get drafted uh busey his character just pretends to be like completely fucking insane um yeah i don't know there's some good bits there i feel like the heart of just like the boy's journey and the feeling of the surf like you can tell that that milieu is uh important to milius um and uh, i don't know fun fun end of summer movie Millius is Millius. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Gary Busey's character in this is named Leroy the Masochist Smith, <laughs> which is pretty great. Right, uh, also, I'm watching it. Also, did you guys see that video of Gary Busey last week? The oh, hit that and run was, thing? That was, <laughs> that was one of the sick. funniest that things I've so ever sick. seen. For the viewers who don't know or the listeners, uh, Gary Busey, one of uh, the great actors of the American <laughs> cinema in the 1980s uh, and 90s, I guess, uh, really. He uh, he like hit and run some lady who started filming him uh, in the car like they were on Pacific Coast Highway. And then he pulls into a parking lot. She gets out of the car, starts yelling at him, and he just turns up the radio <laughs> with the Beach Boys playing. <laughs> I think is it? Wouldn't it be nice or Good Vibrations or one of the very on the nose songs that it would be? Uh, and it was. We're gonna. I'm gonna have to include audio yeah, drop that because that was yeah. one of the funniest things I've seen in so long. I mean, so, that is pure movie yeah. star power right there. Yeah, because what's great about the video too is that. He's pretty like he's pretty flustered up until that moment, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean it's a pretty obviously the situation you just crashed into someone, someone coming at you with the phone being, "Why'd you crash into my car? Why'd you crash into my car?" Yeah. And he's like, he almost has like that old man absent absenteeness where it's like, oh, it's like this like he's so old he doesn't know what to do in this moment. And then <laughs> crank up that Beach Boys, get the good vibrations going. He, he knows exactly what he needs to do. He's the man again. It's a great video. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Gary Busey, come on the pod, buddy. Yeah. We'll give you a ride. You know, you don't have to drive yourself. <laughs> we'll pick you up. Yo, that's not okay. You hit my car. Sir, you don't get to just leave hitting someone. Dude. What the fuck? You can't hit someone and then just leave. Eddie, did you watch anything recently? What a question. (laughs) What a question. (laughs) Uh, I popped on the uh, 4K disc of Psycho by Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, two nights ago, and it's like, yeah, what, what am I going to say new about Psycho that's never been said? But frankly, I haven't had much time uh, to watch anything else. I also watched Spanglish today, but I don't want to talk about that because you know what? I want to do a Spanglish revisited episode eventually. Ooh. It was like three years ago we talked about Spanglish. I bet, you know, whatever I said on that episode was dumb, even though I loved the movie and still do. Uh, so that's that's just an aside. Spanglish revisited Maybe even like click revisit it. That would be fun oh. too. Uh, just go back to the Sandman. You know, Do a rewatch. We miss him, and that's what the Sandman's all about—is rewatching those movies so much over the years. Anyway, but regardless, speaking of something I rewatched over the years is Hitchcock's Psycho. Uh, the first time I ever watched this was the very first film class I took in community college, and my teacher was trying to do the Roger Ebert 
uh, like um, lecture hall kind of thing where he was like pausing the movie every two minutes to give a fun fact. Uh, and so it would be like a three hour viewing of Psycho for my first time. <laughs> but luckily the class ended like 45 minutes into the movie. <laughs> so I just watched it on my own. Uh, but yeah, I mean. Um, for home video snobs out there, you know, the 4K UHD set, uh, looks fantastic. It's probably my favorite, like, set of 4K discs I own. Um, nothing new under the sun here. I think that surrounded by, you know, Vertigo and The Birds and such psychologically dense movies, you could even say that this one feels slight. Uh, but I think Hitchcock taking upon himself to self-consciously make a B movie at this point in time is so ahead of the curve. And, uh, you know, speaking of ahead of the curve, obviously in terms of like, psychology it's so ahead of the curve and the slasher movie and you know what have you obviously it's one of the most influential films of all time but also there's just new details every time man i mean the the way norman bates walks up the stairs and he's like sashaying his ass when he's like he's like doing a little he's doing a little tutti fruity walk up the stairs and it's like one of the funniest details of the movie because that's what hitchcock thought that was back then <laughs> like and it's like a very trashy movie you know for yeah. how like psychologically dense and how classy seeming stuff like north by northwest is even with the raunchy jokes like the train punchline in north by northwest i just feel like psycho is so self-consciously him making a fucking trashy movie almost like uh you know i got fincher on the brain because it's the fincher episode but it's like the you want it here's the slop you know but i'm gonna give it to you my way and the way that that's going to be elevated from how anyone else would give it to you. Um, so yeah, that's psycho. Uh, check out the 4k discs. If you have a good home theater setup, like uh, all those look insane. Yeah. I have that set as well. And like earlier this year, we watched uh, vertigo on that. Yeah. It's, it's so fucking beautiful. I've watched that vertigo like three times already. It's so, it <laughs> looks so fucking good. Uh, anyway, that's Eddie's home media corner, uh, a, a, a sub segment of Malcolm in the middle. Yeah. Um, or Malcolm's LGBT movie corner. But, um, I forgot. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I just want to say, like, well, you know, we do some hot takery. It is like Hitchcock's king, man. Like, obviously, yeah. Yeah. He, he doesn't miss. But it's like, no, like, like if you think that, like, if you're listening to this and you're like eh, i'm not so hot on hitchcock it's like that needs to that needs to change like go back to we're, school we're pretty harsh like that's, <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's one thing we won't accept no i i completely agree with you yeah. um so that is going to do it for the fight club episode we will see you next time that will be a movie that jt is about to announce yes it is a uh, manish sharma's 2016 film starring Everyone's favorite movie star, Shah Rukh Khan. It is none other than Fan, one of the great uh, Shah Rukh Khan dual role movies. Uh, it's been a minute since I've seen this one. I'm excited to hear what you fellas think. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one. We haven't had our good friend SRK bless the pod with his star presence in quite some time. So I can't wait. I'm planning to see Jawan tomorrow. So oh, hell we'll yeah. some SRK. We'll have some SRK talk. Plenty of it. Hell yeah. Uh, and until then, you know, keep getting into fights with people, I guess. Keep fighting, uh, keep fighting this the is the fight. fight Club episode. Yeah, uh, keep fighting the good fight, uh, which means telling people that Mank is actually pretty good. Uh, <laughs> and, I mean, you know, we know the truth. Care. 
<laughs> those those who know, we know the truth. You could say what you want about Mac, but we know the truth. So goodbye. Look, the people you are after are the people you depend on. We cook your meals, we haul your trash, we connect your calls, we drive your ambulances, we guard you while you sleep. <laughs>